Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the Sexy Lifestyle is all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are, and you know we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown, and hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex, because great sex matters, and we all deserve it. So, are you looking for ways to make your sexy time more fun and pleasurable? You might want to think bigger by adding fantasy, role play, and some new sex toys to help you explore and facilitate great sex. On today's show, we're going to discuss the benefits of using sex toys with your partner for a more meaningful and bonded experience, especially as we age, because aging should not get in the middle of your intimacy. Sexy has no expiry date. Thank God for that. All right, before we get on with the show, we want to remind you like we do every week about our top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex and nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot. So if you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex and you need one of our top waterproof blankets, it's 100% waterproof and leak proof and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking brand new. You don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. It sure does. So does today's show. We are Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we are so excited to welcome today's special guest directly from San Francisco. Sexologist Dr. Carol Queen is an award-winning author, activist, and sex educator, and a sex toy expert. Dr. Carol has been a part of Good Vibrations since 1990, and she curates for the Antique Vibrator Museum. In addition to many other attributes, Dr. Carol is passionate about positive sexuality. Aren't we all? Well, shouldn't we all? Shouldn't we all be? Exactly, Exactly. yes. Carol, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and being with us here on The Sexy Lifestyle. It is such a pleasure to be with you, and I know we're going to have such a great chat about toys and sex and pleasure and all the things. All our favorite topics. I know, right? (laughs) But you know, we always like to open the show with a little bit of an icebreaker asking you how your year was in this COVID um, situation, and how has it changed your work or your sex life in the past year? Well, the COVID situation has been a lot, and has actually let me go into um, much more of my introvert side. I'm really an ambivert, you know, just like I'm an ambisexual <laughs> and uh, ambiverts for the, for any of your listeners who haven't heard that term is somebody who kind of balances introvert and extrovert. And when I was running the Center for Sex and Culture and doing public stuff for Good Vibrations all the time that wasn't me- mediated by, you know, a computer, I was meeting and greeting and in, in people's face and I have been with my three feline brothers all year living in our apartment in San Francisco. I see my partner Robert once a week uh, out in the hills of Napa. And 
me and my vibrator are cozier than ever. Wow. That is the that's the short answer to your question. <laughs> it's all good. We get it. We absolutely get it. Well, it sounds like it hasn't been so horrific for you. And so I'm glad that you're able to have your feline friends and your vibrator with you. And you know, it's very interesting that Carol talks about her and her vibrator becoming a lot more intimate because, you know, as swingers, we had a year where we couldn't go out and swing and play with other people like we normally do. Um, so we brought out a whole bunch of new sex toys that we had. We did a lot of role playing and it's going to be a great discussion, a great discussion today uh, talking about those cool things you could do, not do only during a pandemic, but at any time in your relationship. Um to spice it up. Yeah, absolutely. We are definitely going to be getting into that. Let's start a little bit by talking about how you got into this whole world of sexuality. You've been in it for a long time, but how did it start out for you? Well, you know, these days, uh, young people get sort of turned onto the idea of being sex educators or sex experts, or they they find one of the few programs where you can get a degree in sexology, and it's actually thing that you can think about doing when you grow up right yeah um not for everyone it's not it's not on everyone's radar but there are more and more people who think that this is meaningful work and indeed it is i came up through the old school way of being fascinated by sex sure that sex was important having terrible sex education having a hard time learning more about sex you know, combing the library at Roseburg for a book, not very many sex books in the library, Roseburg, Oregon, 1972, right? So, so, uh, so I jumped into having sex with both feet. Actually, that makes it sound like I started with my feet. That's not happening. <laughs> it's all good. But, <laughs> but I have met a foot fetishist or two in my time. So there you have it. And, and learning both about my own sexuality, the fact that I was bi, the fact that I was not interested in monogamy, all the different pieces that, that in, from some corners there was shaming about and from other corners there was community opening up. You know, I came of age in the 1970s and in retrospect, that was quite a time mm-hmm. it was. And, and really came into the sex world in the 1990s fully. 80s really but 90s for sure that was quite a time and i hear through the grapevine we're about to have a quite a time this summer too so <laughs> let's see how the yes. next year or a few goes right this decade might be very interesting in that respect but activism was what brought me here activism around lgbt issues and and sort of open sexual discussion in the 70s hiv aids and then sexology training began in the 80s and then then stepping into good vibrations into the world of sex parties where robert and i ran our own for about a decade or so called the queen of heaven parties safer sex parties in san francisco where not everybody in the sex play world was requiring safe Mm. you know barriers at that time so we were sort of on one edge or another with that and and writing beginning to write in the 90s as well especially and starting with my book exhibitionism for the shy and just going from there because as i'm sure you know and as this podcast is proof anybody who has gone into the world of sexuality to explore it finds that they learn things that they didn't learn in school and don't learn from the overarching culture. And then it becomes 
um, a challenge and an opportunity to try to tell other people what you found mm -hmm. and and add to their own knowledge and perspective. So mm -hmm. I think that's an important that's important work, yes, and it it's really fun work as well. Now, Carol, as you were going through high school, college, university, were you a very sexual person? Were you the naughty person who got the football team behind the stands and wanted to fuck them all? Did you have that passion, that desire? <laughs> well, I don't know if I, I don't got all the way through the football team. <laughs> I wasn't all that into sports, but I did. Um, I, yes, I did get around. I got around in high school. I got around in college. Um, as I, ironically and interestingly, and not too unusually, as I was stepping into my my real bisexuality and getting more and more interested in having sex with women, that was when I slowed down because I was scared. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if I had what it took. I didn't know if the fact that I was bi was going to be a turnoff. There was, it, I had a little learning curve there that was a little different from my my learning curve, if that's what you would call it, with boys. But um, I did uh, have sex in high school with the guy who uh, drove a new Mustang, mm -hmm. which, and he never let me ride in that Mustang, which um, taught me a lesson of my own too. Mm -hmm. right. Although I ran into him later at a reunion, and it's all fine now. Nice. It's all fine. <laughs> now, in a se in a second, we're gonna start. We're gonna talk about your antique vibrator museum. But as you were growing up, did you experiment with toys before you found your bisexuality? When, when, at what point in your, your <laughs> at what point did you discover sex toys? In my trajectory. Well, you know, as a matter of fact, David, yes, I did discover them a little bit before I discovered bisexuality. In the whole uh, sort of early to mid-teens time frame when I was reading as much as I could, trying to interpret what I was reading, looking around, learning to masturbate. wasn't very good at it at first, which is one of the reasons I was in that library in Roseburg. I was looking for the definition of orgasm so I could try to figure out how, what, well, if I had one, would I know? Mm -hmm. Yes. The answer was yes, yeah. as it turned out. <laughs> how do I get there? What, you know, before you understand your 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 bodily anatomy around pleasure and response it can be can be a little confusing mm -hmm. right so mm -hmm. i lived in that confusion i tried to read my way out of it uh play my way out of it and then i found a vibrator in my parents hall closet oh, nice. it was a really old one I knew it was a vibrator because Betty Dodson, the mother of masturbation, had an interview in a magazine that I read, and I read about vibrators, and it, I knew it was old because it had been there my whole life and then some. My dad had been a barber, and back in the old days, now we have nice finger massages on our head, right? And we go to a, a nice hairstyler in those days, if with the crew cuts, or David, you would be perfect for this, this here, if your hair's not going to get caught in a vibrator, they would vibrate your oh. head. Oh, My like dad that. had the vibrator. They never asked for the vibrator back once I took it, <laughs> which means that they didn't use it for all the good things it could be used for. <laughs> else they would say, hey, where did that thing go? Right. And uh, the other fun thing about this, now I have one just like it in the Antique Vibrator Museum now, which is funny. So I was born to do this, obviously. And... It made the television roll and <laughs> get just like 
turned on the blender. TVs, you young people today have no idea how good you have it. Uh In the old days, our TVs wouldn't even stay on when we turned on our appliances. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. about when I used that vibrator. Plus, it was sounded like a helicopter landing on the roof. It was so loud. And no, no. was it a pinpoint vibrator or was it a dildo vibrator? What did it look like? No, thank you for asking for this city. So people um, might want to go to the Antique Vibrator Museum website, antiquevibratormuseum.com, and look for a vibrator that looks like um, a machine that straps to the top of your hand. Okay. There were, uh, there were two or three companies that made these, but mine, I believe, um, was an Oster. Oh, yeah. Oster made the and, blenders, uh, too. Yeah. Yeah, like the blenders. <laughs> and people don't know that the, that the appliance companies who, you know, that we fill our kitchens with their wonderful wares, uh, at one time in history, most of them, many of them, also made vibrators uh-huh. because vibrators weren't yet thought of openly as sexual right. objects. So anyway, I had this vibrator strapped to the back of my hand. It uh, it held it to the hand with little tight springs. So at the end of using it, my hand would be a little bit weird feeling because I had both uh, put it in bondage of a kind and also <laughs> put this weight on the top of it, which was weird. I guess one wrist is probably stronger than the other to this day. And then if these Swedish massagers are also... Um, uh, popular with people with penises because they can just grasp their penis as usual and have vibration go oh. through their hand. And of course, in my case, it was vulva, clitoris, and so forth. And clitoral stimulation with this thing was easy, strong, uh, loud, and fantastic. Interesting. Wow. And did you use lube back then? Is that something that was popular? I remember playing around with... Uh, ordinary household objects that I could use for uh, vaginal stimulation. Once I got, once I got rolling with this, I was like, what else can I do <laughs> now? And of course we're going to, we're going to talk more about things that are made specifically for these purposes in a little bit, but um, just people watch out what you run around the house, feeling horny and grabbing and sticking in your parts. Mm-hmm. Just watch out. Can't be breakable, sharp, scratchy, whatever. I dodged probably many bullets um, in trying to, have sex with objects um but what i will say is that when i did um use them i didn't have access to lube except one time for for just a short period of time there was a tampon that they tried to introduce in the 70s that came on a stick not with a with a sort of a cardboard tube that helps you insert it so because it was so um Sticky so almost. much rougher on the outside, it came with a bottle of lube. Oh. I threw the tampons away and just used the lube. <laughs> the tampons weren't optimal. There were other kinds, but the lube, and I never found lube again huh. until I was an adult. It was huh. much harder to find in those days huh, uh, at the drugstore or wherever. Now you can find it many places, mm-hmm. but in those days, lube was a bit at a premium, which is why people used awful things like like Vaseline mm-hmm. right. as lube. Don't use Vaseline. It's a petroleum product. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's, it's a sort of, it's a variant of pouring gasoline over your genitals don't do it yeah exactly so hun i know you found masturbation and toys later on in life what was the need like you started having sex young and then you brought toys into your life later 
Well, I masturbated manually for a number of years. I didn't actually have a sex toy until I was in my 30s. So what was that? Why, why did you go ahead and get one? Uh, actually, it was a boyfriend I had who said, you never had a sex toy? I can't believe it. He bought me two vibrators because I'd never had one. I've never walked into a sex toy, sex toy store. And um, yeah, so that was how I got it in the first place. And how, how was the first experience? Was it fun? Uh, you know, I, I was so used to this manual stimulation that it was it was different. Absolutely, it was different. And yes, I think I was able to come faster by using, you know, a vibrating uh, motion instead of just my hand. But yeah, it was fun for sure. And now you found the womanizer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's my go-to. And the womanizer, of course, is is, is a little different from vibration. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a vibration variant mm-hmm. for sure, mm-hmm. but... Um, but for many people, you know, there are nerve endings on the clitoris that and penis and whatever you got, whatever you call it, any any of those phallic parts that any person has have nerve endings that respond specifically to vibration, mm-hmm. which helps explain the popularity of vibrators for sure. But it also um, means that the other nerve endings don't get the same kind of stimulation with vibration. And if we're used to one thing and then you add another thing, I mean, that's one of the wonderful challenges with playing with sex toys. Like I have a, I have a way of doing what I do and my partner and I have a way of doing what we do and now we're switching it up. So, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure I don't, I don't know how many people in the olden, olden, olden days took their, you know, vibrators that, that weren't sold as sex toys realize that they could be used that way and actually use them with partners Mm -hmm. there's some porn from the early days of porn the very late teens very early 1920s that depicts both solo and partner use of vibrators so it the knowledge was there at least among the sexy people where you would expect it to emerge and uh at the same time it's it's um it's a journey to play with toys, isn't it? It's Absolutely. not. It's not just the same. It's. It's not different in a way that that people sometimes expect, and of course, for some people, toys are their key to mm-hmm. great sex and orgasm. Mm-hmm. For people mm-hmm. who who have a harder time reaching orgasm in other ways, vibration can sometimes really do it, or the womanizer, <laughs> or and it's right. air. It's air. Uh, kindred in from other companies. So how, um, tell us a little bit about the Antique uh, Vibrator Museum. How did you come up with the idea and and why? Well, the Antique Vibrator Museum is, in the first place, let me explain to our, our guests here that it is a one-room museum. But in its origin, it lives at the Polk Street Good Vibrations in San Francisco. It's right off a cable car line. So when you visit San Francisco, you can do all the San Francisco things all at one time. You can ride the cable car to the Antique Vibrator Museum. And it's a good vibration. So you can get a, a new vibrator if you don't have one. It's all it's so handy. But in the old days, the, the Good Vibrations is 44 years old now. And its very first store was the size of a postage stamp. And sex educator Joni Blank founded it. And she set up an antique vibrator museum. It was a shelf, uh, not very big, that fit about eight vibrators. And she put her collection of eight antique vibrators, most of which she had gotten at flea markets and Mm -hmm. junk stores in the 1970s, put them on this, put a sign over it that said museum, 
it was like the smallest museum in the universe, and yet it was bigger than the other museums. Because there was none. (laughs) In the United States, there were not really any more of those. And I came to Good Vibrations in 1990, and because I was already involved in my sexology program, I became... Uh, fairly soon, not only an educator at Good Vibrations and a staff member, but one of the people who represented the company to the public and the press. So I was the one who got to talk about the antique vibrators for years before the museum um, was more than a scattering of vibrators at our various stores. We added more stores. So pretty soon I had talked about antique vibrators more than anybody else there. Joni Blank retired and then we decided, no, we got to put all these things together and make a museum. So I was the one who had been speaking about this for so long already that I kind of just, you know, got, got one more name added to my title of staff sexologist, company historian, and curator of the <laughs> Antique Vibrator Museum. It's a great honor. And I just, I ask everybody in the world to challenge themselves whether they have a better job to title than I do. I doubt it. <laughs> Mine's the best, I think. Cool. And, and and how many pieces are there? Is there hundreds, thousands? Well, there are, there are certainly thousands of antique vibrators out there. There, there were In 1917, there were more uh, vibrators in the United States than, than electric toasters. Wow. Yeah. Of course, they hadn't invented Pop-Tarts yet, so that would soon change. But uh, <laughs> the way that um, the way that we have gone is we've got we, we've got a bunch of vibrators behind the scenes that are duplicates but we've got over a hundred in this room they range in age from maybe 1850s it's hard to say because it's a hand crank vibrator that was made from the 1850s through the early 20th century and so it's we can't tell exactly how old this thing is but old Mm -hmm. and a few more hand crank vibrators then electricity came along and revolutionized the vibrator and many other things too, of course. And so we've got uh, electric vibes from the very early 20th century all through the 1970s. And in the 1970s, uh, when we Good Vibrations began, we just don't think any, anything younger than that is actually antique. Mm-hmm. Although mm-hmm. I'm sure there are some young people who look at you know <laughs> vibrators from 1982 and would disagree with right, me right, there. Right. <laughs> That's funny. So uh, Carol, being the... Um exploratory person that you are having tried and done very many things over the years have you tried all the vibrators in your museum i have not tried all the vibrators in the museum although i believe i've probably tried uh more of them than most anybody else who uh lives around antique vibrators because and i'll tell you why um at one point a german radio show wanted to do a, a radio piece about antique vibrators. So, so just like we are doing right now, we have to convey with our voice and any other sound effects that get added what um, is up with these vibrators, what, what, are the, what were they like. So they actually had me turn on a range of vibrators. Some of them smoked. I turned those off right away. <laughs> if you find an antique anything in the garage or up in the rafters, be careful. If it's an electric appliance, it may or may not be in good shape anymore. And in some cases, I did indeed touch myself through fabric because you don't know where those things have been. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, the, the antique vibrators to just get a different, you know, Sense. there are many kinds of vib- vibratory touch now that you can arrange for from leaning on the edge of your, you know, spin cycle washing machine to getting a vibrator and various kinds of those. So I wanted to have a, a sense of it. And my experience with them was that they are on the strong side, even compared to now. Wow. Um and uh, because, of course, they were supposedly designed for massage. Right, back massage, right, massage. yes, yes. And, and, and other kinds of health conditions, too. Mm-hmm. There's a book in the museum. It's open to the hysteria chapter, right. but there are many other chapters. And hysteria, of course, was a, a health condition, so partly psychological, partly physical, probably. Uh, we don't call anything hysteria anymore, really. So it's a little hard to nail down exactly what the problem was of mostly women who did they all have stressful lives back then? I think they did. (laughs) So there were a lot of things going on that helped them. um, If they were to be vibrated on the clitoris and vulva with a vibrator by a doctor, this was a medical procedure that would, would treat their hysteria and indeed a, a large strong hysterical paroxysm of relief, quote unquote, right. uh, it seemed to make them feel better until the next time they had to go back to the doctor, which they did. Yes. So some doctors got pretty well to do off of this situation. And it wasn't until this, I mentioned porn and the, and the vibrators in the 19-teens and 1920s. It wasn't until the early 1920s and the porn images began to trickle out into the world that it became clear that Oh, some people were really still using their vibrator that way, and they seemed to be having more fun than they did at the doctor's office. And the doctor stopped using vibrators mm-hmm. to treat hysteria, and then they just became household objects. So the way that they lived in plain sight for that period of time, that that transition period was that health, vigor, beauty. My very favorite line at the Antique Vibrator Museum is, um, this, this was an ad back in the day, Almost like a miracle is the healing power of vibration when rightly applied. <laughs> Almost like I a miracle. Who can argue with that? Yeah. That is so right. Absolutely. <laughs> and so if you, you know, were looking between the lines, you would hear, woohoo, play with your vibrator. Uh-huh. And if you weren't, you were like, oh, my shoulder, I think I better get that thing out of the hall closet right. and see yeah. if I can treat my you know, my arthritis or whatever. Yeah, Love it. yeah that is so amazing. Wow, lots of great information amazing. here, but we are going to yeah. have to take a second and just shout out to one of our show sponsors, but we won't be long. We'll be right back. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we are going to be t- and we are talking with sexologist Dr. Carol Queen from Good Vibrations, so stay right there. So, you know, people have been asking us, what's changed after four years of doing the podcast? Well, a lot has. But to be honest, the orgasm gap still remains a challenge for many couples. You know what I'm talking about. Men tend to finish before their female partners. You've heard us talk about Promescent for years. Their urologist-developed FDA-compliant delay spray can help men last up to 64% longer without loss of sensation. And it's great because promescent is quickly absorbed into the penis and it doesn't transfer to your partner. And speaking of your partner, I think we can all agree that sometimes women, even when alone, still have challenges around reaching orgasm. So now, promescent has created a female arousal gel. I love it. 
It's a clitoral stimulant that she can rub into her clitoris for increased pleasure and a lot more satisfaction during pretty much any type of sexual activity that you can think of. Absolutely. So now they've got promescent delay spray for him and arousal gel for her. So basically, they're closing the orgasm gap on both sides. And remember to check out their amazing lubes as well. Yeah, trust us. Try these amazing products and you'll thank us later. Seriously, just write to us at ask at carolandavid.com and tell us how it went. So try Promescent today. Just go to the website www.promescent.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T.com. Yeah, and now, and especially for a limited time, if you enter Sexy Lifestyle 15, you'll get 15% off every order. And remember, tell your friends too, that's Sexy Lifestyle 15 for 15% off. Alrighty, we're back. Uh, this is the Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're having a great discussion with sexologist Dr. Carol Queen. Uh, we've been talking about sex toys, uh, the history, um, how she's used them, and uh, now we're going to get into talking about one of her books. Yeah, so Carol, why don't you tell us about your book, The Sex and Pleasure Book, Good Vibrations Guide to Great Sex for Everyone. So the Sex and Pleasure Book is an attempt to download my brain and the institutional knowledge of good vibrations around sex toys, pleasure, uh, what people don't know about sexual anatomy and arousal and response, some information about relationship um, options uh, from monogamy to not monogamy and and poly and swinging and other things, Um, some life cycle information, some information about STIs and sexual health, disability, inability, and just just trying to put as much stuff together in one book that, um, that we know people are interested in from these 44 years of talking to people about sex and helping them choose products and all of that. So the Sex and Pleasure book starts out with um, some ideas about sex positivity and um, sort of helps put people in the in the space that I'm in writing it, and I wrote it with the wonderful Shar Rednow, um, who has been um, uh, a Bay Area star for so many years, and now she's living in Canada. So you'll maybe bump into her if you go to Vancouver. I wanted to I wanted to make a resource, honestly, that was the kind of resource I looked for in the library in Roseburg, Oregon. Right. In the, 72 and didn't find, right? And we added uh, these fantastic illustrations by the wonderful Amanda Lafrenet, who is a a, a comics artist, and she did cheeky, cute, diverse pictures of different positions and different toys and this and that. And it's really, it tries to be a resource for people figuring out what the sexuality business is anyway, because people can do that at just about any age. You know, I started as a teen. There are people who don't start trying to figure this stuff out until the end of their, you know, second or third marriage. Yeah. And everybody, everybody deserves to have pleasure. But not everybody has it in exactly the same way. So the book's kind of thick because it's got to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. That's a lot of topics to cover in one book. And so when I know you just used the word sex positivity, but when did that word become a buzzword in the industry? Well, I have been hearing it as a buzzword for over a decade easily. 
more than that, probably it, within the within the sexuality world, probably longer than that. But I first heard it, and I had never heard it before, in spite of my almost decade as an activist in the 19, late 1980s when I went to the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality to get my PhD in sexology because I had been a sociology major, but then I looked around and went, wait, there's there's a there's a sexology? Let's switch to that. <laughs> so Good idea. Never looked back. And this term was a term of art at the Institute. It was talked about pretty deeply and it was linked up with the the institute's um um sexual bill of rights that they they developed to to try to help people understand diversity and people's needs around information and access to services and you know social services medical services that were not sex negative you know really what people need to understand is sex positive is an antidote to sex negativity, to erotophobia, to this idea that there's one way to be sexually normal and all the other ways are problematic, wrong, sick, perverted, whatever. The, you know, the amount of hate speech that's been aimed at sex, sexual diversity, um, I, I think sometimes we don't really acknowledge it. It isn't just LGBT people who have had to grow up in an atmosphere of shame and opprobrium often, although that's true often. But lots of us have had either active shaming or just, as I did, this this absence mm-hmm. of support or knowledge mm-hmm. that, that was hard to overcome. So sex positivity seeks to address what it would be like for us to have access to what we need to grow up as sexually healthy and and informed people. Mm. Now, in its buzzword context, it's tended to mean, woohoo, I like sex, Mm -hmm. which is great. I've got nothing against anybody liking sex, providing it's consensual, and there are ways to get to consent, and let's learn to communicate, and all of that. And uh, it sometimes it means I'm uh, oh I'm open I'm not a monogamous person right. it's sometimes it means I'm kinky sometimes it means you know this it's it's become a buzzword to try to describe uh, people who don't consider themselves what do you, what do we used to say straight but not narrow mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Uh, that's not it's that's not its bottom level definition though it's great that we are talking about sex in a positive way but people all need to understand that if somebody says hey if you were really sex positive you would do this thing with me Uh, that's a misuse of the term sex positive and people say that kind of nonsense all the time Uh, now that kind of shit is is out there in the parties it's out there in the relationships it's I I did an interview with a a young man about sex positivity at the very end he's like a, a hip Oakland boy at the very end he said can I ask you a question? Is there something wrong with me that I don't want to be in an open relationship? Huh? And I was like, oh, boo-boo. Uh. <laughs> Who are you? You know, you maybe you'll want to be in one later and maybe you won't. Right. And everybody in my friend group thinks I'm weird. I'm uh. like, oh, you know, how is it that we try to stop this? Everybody in my friend group thinks I'm weird mm. nonsense. And then we invite another group of friends to call somebody else weird uh, human 
we going to do with them, you know? So that's some of the stuff about sex positivity that I always want to try to communicate to Mm -hmm. people. It isn't about I'm hipper than thou. I'm sexier than thou. Asexuals can be sex positive. People who never have had sex can be sex positive. People who good sex can be sex positive. As long as they know that there's an option for them to move in a direction that's better for them and their sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that in our context, we use sex positivity to mean we are open and non-judgmental about others because that's how we want others to treat us. You know, we have been shamed many times as being swingers and weirdos. We like to fuck other people. Exhibitionists. And exhibitionists. And we've gotten many times, Ooh. you're a swinger, you come fuck me. Well, no, that's not what it's all about, <laughs> you know? So we get exactly what you're saying. And the sex positivity that you're spreading everywhere, that we hope we are spreading everywhere, is to keep everybody open and, and discussing different aspects of sexuality in all different forms. Um, that there are as I- many different forms as there are different people. And how good it is for your health and well-being as well. Absolutely. And and I think that the, you know, the heart of what you said, you know, the non-judgmental open attitude toward diversity. I mean, that's the, if I had to tell people what a really, really short definition needs to include, that's Mm got to be in there. Mm -hmm. You can't be going, I'm sex positive, all the rest of you are a bunch of Mm-hmm. weirdos right. that's not the way it works right exactly. and and the idea that and, and and the other thing i just really want to reinforce sex positivity helps us heal even if we don't have access to all these wonderful you know in a perfect world we could go to the doctor and say exactly what was the matter and the doctor would have learned about sexual pleasure physiology and anatomy and know what to tell you as opposed to not all of them do now. Right. All you know, everything that flows from this idea. I'm actually going to be doing like two, two and a half hour classes this summer on sex positivity. Just this this big deep dive into all of this because because it is used in a, a limited way so often now, and we need it, and it helps us heal from this shaming mm-hmm. that so many of us have had aimed at us. Um, sometimes when we were too young to even understand the source of or the definition of the shaming. Mm -hmm. I got called Queen the Queer when I was in sixth grade (laughs) because, look, Queen and Queer almost word. Isn't that very, very clever? Mm -hmm. Sixth graders, God love them. And I didn't even know what the term queer was supposed to mean until I found somebody who would be like, no, stupid, it means homosexual. Uh, And I was like, wow. What? (laughs) (laughs) And and we all have we all have something out there in our lives that that has been, you know, attitude about who we are and are trying to be as sexual Mm -hmm, people. mm That's that really just needs to stop. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And in, in your book, you also discuss like how sexual changes across people's lifespan, uh, it, things have changed throughout. Like you said something earlier when you're in your teenagers and then it grew and your journey was there. But there's lots of things that change throughout our lifespan. You know, when you said that you got your first vibrator in your 30s, I actually was not surprised mm. because they say some some of the, the people who study sexuality have talked about the way that often women's sexual peak is in their 30s or maybe sometimes even later. And of course, there are 
Remember, I studied sociology. There are social reasons why that might be. It isn't, you know, baked into our anatomy and our genes or anything necessarily that this might be true. But it is true for many people that after some time of repression, then all of a sudden blossoming can happen. And it's also true that once you get into perimenopause and menopause, people might find that their um, their well-loved sexual responses, their sensations, their, their emotions, lots of things can shift and change. And we talk about this all the time as far as menopause is concerned, but people who never identified as women may also find that they have some uh, hormonal changes, differences, and midlife and later life, being sedentary is super associated mm-hmm. with the way that we experience our sexuality often. And that's a time of life sometimes when we're just too busy sitting in our cubicle and making sure that we do you know, the best work we can do and we don't get out and about, we don't go dancing anymore necessarily. Uh, Dr. Queen would like to encourage everyone to go dancing even if it's in your living room. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait for the you know, pandemic dance halls to open up again. Move your body because that makes the blood flow and the blood flow makes your genitals much happier when you have sex, whether it's with yourself or a partner, and it really will uh, also keep your brain functioning and the brain's the biggest sex organ. All that's important. Oh, that's great. Wow. This has such, been such a great segment talking about all different things and sex positivity, which we all should be spreading everywhere. Let's just remind everybody that we are Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We're having an amazing discussion with sexologist Dr. Carol Queen. She's from Good Vibrations. Coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. But first, a shout out to another one of our show sponsors. Stay right there. All righty. You know we love hedonism. We spent the winter there. We were there for 89 sexy days. It's one of our favorite places to hang out naked on the beach. And it is the sexiest place on earth where you can be as mild or as wild as you like. So we are so excited about uh, the fact that this is Hedo's 40th anniversary celebration. It's happening October 30th to November 6th. So come and join us there for a week. Um, You can get naked on the beach with us, maybe be on our show. For more information, go to thesexylifestyle.com, click on the Hedo link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. And if you're looking for an open-minded online community to find compatible uh, people and events, go to sdc.com and you can use promo code 30314 to get your first month free. Check it out. Absolutely. All righty. You know we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. We sure do. So, what a great show this has been, I, having two Carols on the show. Imagine right? if we were having a threesome. It would be a, a Carol sandwich with David in the middle being the meat. I know. That's what you're thinking about, baby. I can I tell am. right away. This great sex matters. We always get down and dirty with our guests. We're going to talk about sex toys and stuff. So... Let's get going. So, Dr. Carol, all this talk about um, great sex and having sex and sex toys, what are the main benefits of using sex toys for men and women? Well, I would say that the, the benefits are pleasure and diverse sources of pleasure. We talked a little bit before about how vibration isn't the same as other kinds of stimulation. So, so adding to your toolbox or your your toy box is probably what I should say, the way that 
exploring toys helps you understand more oftentimes about what you like and don't like what you need and and what doesn't work so well for you. You can do that with just another human body and touching and you can learn a lot just masturbating with your hands, mm-hmm. as you know, mm-hmm. but but toys gives you an extra level of what's possible? What do I like? And this idea that um, we don't learn what's possible with our bodies and our pleasure responses, you know, each of us solo and in partnership with others needs to figure that out for ourselves. Part of sexual diversity is just that, you know, actually I like the left side rather than the right side. My clitoris touched. I like it slow and feathery on my penis. I know I like it to be grabbed and tugged on or different kinds of touch at different times. And, and based on the kinds of questions that people ask us at good vibrations, it's very clear that so many people just never learned any of this. They just don't, they think that they think that they're, there's something wrong with them because they don't orgasm with intercourse. And when we ask them if there's any, you know, sort of foreplay involved, no, we just, we just do the intercourse. That's normal. It's like, well, let's talk a little bit about physiology and anatomy and arousal. Right. So, so this knowledge base is, you can get it without sex. You can get it without sex toys, but sex toys, put a level of exploratory options in your hands, literally, that let you sort of wake up to your whole body's sexual options. And your whole body is a sexual entity. It's not just that, you know, few square inches down between your legs. It's not just your toes if you're a foot fetishist. It's, it's your body. Your skin is a sex organ. Your brain is a sex organ. So all of this is great um, sort of, sort of beginning theory for saying, what else might I feel with you? What else might we do together? There are things that are easier to do toy than without a sex toy, like like pegging or um, intercourse if somebody doesn't have erections when they want them, or or doesn't have a penis in the first place. Things like that that mean that sex toys, you know, we used to call them marital aids all the mm-hmm. way back in the day, right? But you don't have to be married. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to need any help. You can just explore. And that level of permission, I think that's just crucial for people and their sexuality because if we are not, if we don't feel like we can explore, how do we know that we got to the kind of pleasure that we're capable of feeling. So, you know, that's an amazing segue to um, a point I want you to touch upon. And we talk about um, one of the main pillars in relationships being communication. So I'm, I'm guaranteeing you that after people listen to this show, if they haven't used a sex toy, they will go out, they will get one, and they will try it. And they're going to find all these new sensations and all these great things about their body. I want you to take a minute and talk to our listeners about once you find those great points, how important it is to tell your partner about them. Absolutely. So one of the things that um, is problematic for so many people's sex lives is that they, they gather some information from here and there. 
you know, a little half-assed information from sex ed, and then they put some porn on the top of that and try to try to figure it out, and they look at the positions, and they see what's going on, and then they, they have sex with a few people, maybe, and they, like, kind of add to their knowledge base, and they're like, well, this is how it is. This is how it works. So this is a subset of how it works, is what I would like to tell them, and, and trying to put your knowledge base and what you think is the 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 way to have sex especially when you haven't had a whole lot of sexual experience with a lot of people onto a partner may just simply miss their hotspots you just may never occur it may never occur to you to spend a little time you know like, like the people who take a really long time on foreplay they like they start by kissing your wrist and they go down your arm like that skunk that just got canceled recently and like and and be be seductive and be whole body in terms of figuring out what gets your person going if you don't do that if you zone in on what you think sex means which in our cultures in the west in particular is so genital and so penetration oriented which can be fabulous and if it starts too soon you may lose the chance of having orgasmic and pleasurable sex so if somebody figures out thing about their body they owe it to themselves not just their partner's knowledge base and intimacy space with them but themselves and their experience to say you know what let's try focusing here for a little while or oh, would you please go slower? Or, oh my God, would you please go harder? Or, oh, please kiss me while you do that. Or, do you have a hand free? Would you put it on my breast and just squeeze just a little bit? Just just turn it a little bit. And it's not a radio dial. Uh-huh. Just a little bit. <laughs> there are squillions of things that the body can feel. And... Many of those body can adjust, especially if you're aroused enough. So the heart of this communication, I think, has to be what optimizes arousal. And when the, you know, I remember in my teens, somebody would say, what do you like yeah. in bed? And I would be like, oh, everything. Because what did I know? Right. I didn't know. Right. I'd, had a, I'd had some sex. Some of it wasn't very good. Right. I couldn't analyze it yet, right? I didn't have... I didn't have a framework to go, oh, I see what was wrong that time. That was just, oh, that was way too fast. Oh, wait, there was, I wasn't lubricated. I don't know why, because I thought I was having fun, but I wasn't. So there were, there are so many things. Toys help you figure that stuff out. Sex with many partners can help you figure that stuff out. But what lets your partner know what works for you the best is you saying, this is what works for me the best so far. Yeah. And, or your partner being super tuned in to your responses. Mm-hmm. And that itself is a learning curve, right? Yeah. So playing with toys together allows you to compare and contrast and observe what happened when you didn't have toys around and what happens now when you do. Mm-hmm. And then you can talk about it. Just like when you watch some porn and you go, hey, that porn was sexy. Yeah, you know what? But when when something like that kind of sex happens with me, it doesn't always land. It, sometimes I don't get turned on. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it hurts. 
secret. Sometimes I just really wish that there was more foreplay. You know, like there are conversations at depth that we could be having all the time. When we're on a car trip, why wouldn't we be talking about sex? Why not? Mm. Yes. You do. <laughs> <laughs> we absolutely do. We'll talk about it just when you're starting to touch a person or just when you are touching a person and, and they have to say to you, wait, 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 stop. You talk about it all the time. Right. You normalize it. You get comfortable. You make it you make it a topic of conversation just like you would, you know, talk at great depth about the awesome new restaurant that you just tried right. and what you both had for dinner and what you like because partners share awesome stuff with each other. Mm-hmm. And this business of being silent around sex, we need to understand that that can be an outgrowth of this shame mm-hmm. and this this idea that sex really isn't really okay. Or almost as bad, this idea that, oh, you know what? Sex is normal. And if we're doing it, this must be how to do it. Right. Like, well, yeah, there's more to try. Right. There's more to do. There's more experience. And I just want people to know that. Yeah. No, that's absolutely amazing. All the discussions about communicating what we know about our bodies, but there's also some fun things that we can add like fantasy and role play. And those things I'll add in with toys or not toys, but it Just also- makes sex better. It, it can, definitely. It can be fun. And, and a whole bunch of it is about, let's not forget that sex should be fun. And so let's, um, let's talk a little bit about fantasies. How about you start telling us about some type, some of your fantasies? Is there something, one of your favorites, your go-to fantasy that you might th- be thinking in your head? Well, I love, I, you know, I wrote exhibitionism for the shy and um, participated in sex parties and masturbate-a-thons and this and that for quite a while until menopause was like, why don't you get a good night's sleep, girl? <laughs> so, well, okay, fine. Uh, I love the exhibitionist fantasy. Uh, that's probably my my core fantasy. I I didn't I I would say that I didn't know it when I was younger, but thinking back, I did. I started fantasizing uh, with exhibitionistic themes uh, when I was fairly young, and it wasn't until a Jack and Jill off party in the late nineteen eighties when I was masturbating on a sofa, being encouraged by people on either side of me to do that. Oh, come on, come on, do it. You got to come. You got to come. We all want to watch you come. And then when I opened my eyes, because I was still a little shy, I had my eyes closed. When I opened my eyes, I saw a whole semicircle of men standing respectful, you know, probably wouldn't get come on me distance away, depending on how far they shot, Uh Mm -hmm. jerking off watching me masturbate and I was like wait a minute I need to come another time and I had never had multiple orgasms before that moment and it cemented for me what was so sexy about exhibitionism and in exhibitionism for the shy one of the things I really wanted to do was help people think about role play because in my view a shy person sometimes has a you know a high fence to climb to get over into a space of comfort but if they pretend they're somebody else that fence can get way lower 
there's not much um, stress involved with being exhibitionistic or or trying something new if you've got this sort of a security blanket of a role I mean I make it sound like you're you're fixing something that's broken there but that's not that's not at all how it feels in the moment not at all and it, really that's not how I think about it overarchingly what it, what it is is a door that you can open into a part of yourself that could dig something different that isn't necessarily central to your understanding of yourself right now. So just like toys, it's a fantastic way to say, what else is there? Maybe somebody is nervous about a toy. They're pretending to be somebody else. Not somebody else might play the toys just like that. And, and this idea that you're not sort of stuck in the, the sexual space that you've been in for your life. I'm not trying to downplay how pleasurable your sex might have been up till now. I'm not doing that at all. I'm just saying, if you want to play, you can play. There are ways to do it. And I think that this, this role play question helps us play with power and control as the kinksters and BDSM players, of course, all know. And you can be... Uh, you can engage with that even if you're just vanilla with some sprinkles on top and just add a little, just, just add a blindfold. Just start talking in somebody's ear from a perspective of a different tone of voice. Pretend you're having sex for the first time all over again. Pretend you're strangers at a bar. That's a classic. You know, pretend I, I had a friend who, uh, who always said that she liked to have a, a like sort of cock fantasies and, and when, she was finally stopped by a cop and he was asking, I, you know, sometimes when this happens, people get a little flirty. I'm not saying they should, but sometimes they do. And it turns out that the cop was like, well, I'm not going to give you a ticket because you started bantering with me about handcuffs, but really I like fuzzy ones in my private life. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, cop, you little devil. Well, I hope that you... Uh, I hope that you appreciate the the fuzzy cuffs uh-huh. and the and the lack of pain wherever you go, my friend. Oh, that's so it's, fun! It's so it's. I just need to help people understand that you don't have to do all the sex things, but you could go as far as you're comfortable going or as you're curious about going, as long as you learn enough to do it safely and you find the people who want to do it with you. That doesn't seem like such a hard ask right right <laughs> but if we can't communicate we can't find the people who want to do it with us if we can't get past our sense of oh no it's not okay to do that then honestly you need to ask yourself who's your alternative persona what would their what will their name be you you get to escape from this space where you don't think it's okay to explore and you can do it and the exploration can help make that space bigger for yourself. Toys are a perfect way to do it. Oh my God, role play and toys together. You're flying, right? You you are in a sp- I love. I learned about flow, and not in a sexual context, right? This idea of flow that 
that athletes get into flow, that when you're, uh, when you're on a project and it's going beautifully, you're an artist and the painting is going perfectly, you're writing a story or, or even a, just a letter to someone and it's just coming out of you like it's, it's effortless, it's you're in flow. Flow is a sexual space too. And I hope that everyone has the opportunity in their life to experience when it's going perfectly and you're flying. Nice. It's an, it's an amazing space to encounter. And we could all get there with enough knowledge and enough sex positive support. Absolutely. I really believe. Absolutely. Well, Carol, we are coming to the end of the show. This hour has zipped right by, but we do like to leave our audience with some final advice. So what would you say are the top two things that people should remember in order to continue having great sex as they age? I really want people to remember that uh, for all this talk of sexual and gender fluidity that we have in our culture now, which is all important and awesome, Sexual fluidity happens in our body and our lifespan too. It's not our sensations and our interests and our abilities and our opportunities won't be exactly the same when we're 18 and when we're 80, right? There, it will shift. So I want people to think about staying in touch with themselves and understanding because they will be the best explorer of those changes themselves and the other thing is you got to talk about what you're discovering with your partner if you've got one because they won't read your mind they might notice you wincing during intercourse for the first time they might who knows what it might be right there might be something that they notice fill them in be intimate be close to each other and if Aging process means that um, stimulation doesn't feel the same way. Grab some toys, explore, figure out what your next phase is going to look like because there are people who think that sex is better over 50, over 60. There are people who say, all of the constraints on me are gone. What's next? And I want to invite everybody to be those kind of people if sexuality is important to you. Wow, what a great way to end the show, Carol. Um, we're going to have you back later on this year, and we'll get more into toys. I know you want to talk about lube. Lube's one of your favorite topics. We didn't get into that today. But um, why don't you take a minute and tell everyone how they can find you online, social media, get in touch with you. So people can uh, see things that I've written and um, check out my page of uh, recommended products and this and that at good vibrations, goodvibes.com. And uh, the other thing that we do at Good Vibes lately is we do Zoom classes. And every month I do conversations with Carol. I do some classes too, but I also find an interesting person and, you know, have great conversations like we've had today. Just different, different folks from different uh, walks of life in the sexuality and sex and culture world. So that's one way. Another way is you could follow me on Twitter, Carol Queen. I'm on Facebook somewhere. I've got a page and I've got a friend and I've got uh, Facebook. I can't even figure that stuff <laughs> out. But there I am somewhere. Uh, check me out. And uh, I just recently got on Instagram. So then 
Uh, there are a few other Carol Queens out in the world. Hi, other Carol Queens. I probably embarrass you or uh, give you a lot to live up to. Or when people meet you at bars, they probably say weird shit at you. Oh, they do that anyway. <laughs> so anyway, look for the PhD. Look for a little picture of me. And uh, there I'll be. And of course, there are books out there with my name on the spine. Exhibitionism for the Shy and the Sex and Pleasure book are two that we've mentioned. Um and those are probably great ones for your listeners to start with. But I also have written a bunch of erotica. Um, I love trying to bring as many different kinds of sex into the mix as possible. My queer, um, queer, queer, queer love story is the leather daddy and the femme. Uh, and if any of you like the idea of leathermen and a femme who loves them too, check that out. I'm so glad to have had a chance to talk to you both. It's been just a pleasure. It has been a pleasure. And of course, if anybody missed any of that information that Carol just told us, they just have to go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all their information, and they can even contact you directly from our website. Absolutely. And as you guys did today, and we do every week, um, we learn more and more every week from all our expert guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at ask at carolyndavid.com. Alrighty, that's the end of another super amazing, great show. Dr. Carol Queen, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. And as we do each week, we want to thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out. And join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, when we talk about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I send you lots of love and great sex. Please, please, please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. Sex, 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 sex,